0: Welcome! This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon.
1: Amen, amen. We want to welcome you to Refresh Community Church. We are so glad that you are here uh, worshiping with us. Uh, You've already been welcomed uh, by Ms. Sabreen, Mrs. Sabreen Rhodes, our executive director, but I want to welcome you again. My name is Pastor Carlos Smith. I'm the lead pastor of this great church and just glad that you are here worshiping uh, with us. Um, We've already had our announcements, but I just want to reiterate something right quick um, that Sabreen already did a great job uh, reiterating, but I just want to just put another accent there Um, on the national night out um, in our partnership with U-City. So she said we got 10 already. Um, Let me tell y'all what happened my first year here. Uh, It was uh, fewer people in this church uh, and we showed up in force with uh with like about 50 or 60 people in the church was less than half the size it is now so i know we can get more than 10 or even 20 i want us for the national night out to show up this is a big 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 event in our community two to three thousand people in U city come out Um, and i know refresh community church i know we can come out in force amen Hold on, I know we can come out in force, amen? I'm gonna run it again, one more. I know we can come out in force, amen? And serve and love our community. So I wanna encourage you, get on our app. If we need 10 more, I wanna see 20 sign up, amen? Amen, amen self, hallelujah, Carla. yes, I'm calling us. To, to love on our community. It's an easy-peasy way to show up and show love to our community. So I know we can do it. It's a, few, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's like a big black party. We can show up, and um, we're going to have our cool new T-shirts, all kind of cool stuff going on. Um, so I just want to throw a little emphasis on that and encourage us to come out and serve our community in one of the many ways um, that was already mentioned. Um, and so um, we're going to be heading back to the Gospel of Luke today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6, and um, you're going to be opening your Bibles to Luke for a minute, um, because we are going to preach verse by verse through the entire book of Luke. We're going to be sitting in Luke for quite a while. We're going to take a break in August to do some vision uh, sermon series and some visioning uh, there. uh, But outside of that, we're going to be hanging out with Luke for a while. So we're in Luke chapter 6, and we are looking at a passage that I believe is very fitting for our July refresh. Luke chapter says, we're going to be looking at verse 1 through 5, and if you would stand with me in reverence for the word of God. And we're going to be looking at verse 1 through 5, and if you can't find Luke 6, 1 through 5, it'll be on the screens for your convenience. Here's the word of the Lord. On the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of our Sabbath rest, that you are the Lord that sustains us as we rest in Sabbath. God, I pray now uh, that you will remind us of your sufficiency, that you are God and you are God all by yourself, God. And because of that, we can rest in you and your finished work. So be with us this morning as we look to your word, as we look to you, the Lord who not only is Lord over us, but the Lord who is for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may have your seats. I just want to lift for a thought for a moment. The Lord of Sabbath and sustenance. The Lord of Sabbath and sustenance. If you have been in church for a while, for some point of your life, and even if you haven't uh, been in church, it is a strong likelihood uh, that you have encountered uh, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one of the most popular pieces of Hebrew poetry in the world, penned some three thousand years by a guy, but three thousand years ago by a na- guy by the name of David. David was the second king of Israel, is the prototype of the Messiah, and was called the sweet psalmist of Israel, and he penned most of the book of Psalms that we enjoy and celebrate today. People have long recognized that the book of Psalms is something that can help us experience the presence and the grace of God and becomes the place where our theology hits the road of life and helps us to understand how to understand God in the everyday ups and downs and vicissitudes of life. In Psalm 23 chronicles David's view of God as the sustainer and as the shepherd of his life, even as he shepherded sheep on the backside of a mountain for his father by the name of Jesse. And shepherding is not an easy job, it's not a cozy job, it's not a cushy job. It is a job that is demanding, where you have to take care of animals that can't take care of themselves. You have to tend to animals who don't have always the best sense about where they are, their surroundings, what's dangerous and what is not. And David took this picture of a shepherd caring for sheep and tied it to his experience of God's care for him. And if you're listening to me talk about Psalm 23 and you don't know it or you're not familiar with it or you're not a churchy person so you don't know what I'm talking about, that's all right. I'm going to level set and we're gonna, I'm going to read it for us and then we all know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of us who may be more familiar may know it already. And I'm going to read it from Old Faithful. Y'all know who Old Faithful is, don't you? The King James Version 1611. That's the only way I know it and can understand it. I read it in the ESV and didn't know what they were talking about. I said, I need Old Faithful for this one. And and it said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The church people were waiting on this. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy. That's right. Let's say it again for the church. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will what? dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, I love Psalm 23, amen. Let's give God a praise for Psalm 23. Oh, you, even if you are not raised in church or that's not a familiar piece of poetry for you, you can hear already why it is so beloved by so many. Because what stands out to, from Psalm 23 is that the sheep does absolutely nothing. The sheep does nothing but is lavished upon, is refreshed, is anointed, is fed, is rested, is Sabbath by the God of heaven, the shepherd of our souls. Yahweh, Elohim, the creator God of all of the universe says, I am going to take you to an all expense Aid, day spa of my lavish grace and mercy. And I'm going to give you a song to sing about it. This, people of God, is what it means for God to be the Lord of our Sabbath, but also the Lord of our sustenance. Now, I know you're like, I see the Sabbath part. He makes him lie down, but where's the sustenance part? He prepares a table before me. I love where he prepares the table. And in the presence of my enemies, right? Where my haters can see me eat good. He He feeds me good. He, he makes it. Not, not. It ain't even golden crowd. He makes me a Ritz-Carlton Four Seasons buffet right in the face of those people who won't even like my photos on Instagram. God blesses me right in the presence of my enemies. I, I like it because that is exactly what Jesus does in this passage. You see God demonstrating right in the face of those who are opposed to him, opposed to his lordship, opposed to his disciples, flexing his lordship and his godness even over the Sabbath right in the face of his enemies. And so what I want to present you to you all today, I know you're kind of like Carlos, how does this have to do with Luke chapter six, verse one through five? What does Sabbath and sustenance have to do with this text? What is the point of this whole sermon? Since I showed up and I came here to worship with you, if I could sum up this sermon in one sentence is simply this, that God does not just exercise Lord over you, but he exercises his lordship for you. He exercises Lordship over you as the God of heaven, the God of earth, but then he takes his power, his strength, his majesty, his resources, and he gives them to you to give you rest and sustenance, just as the shepherd does in Psalm 23. And I, I think this is a poignant passage to look at right now during July Refresh as we seek to give some of our uh, volunteers and staff time to rest. And they are, uh, we are experiencing some rest and some vacation. A lot of our staff going on vacation this week because we're trying to, to do what we preaching about and teaching about and discipling folk about. And that's take a break. And so today I just want to give you all a couple thoughts about Jesus being the Lord of Sabbath and sustenance. But what is Sabbath? What are we talking about? Why are we talking about this? What, what does this mean? Because... We live in a day and age where we just assume uh, a weekend concept. And you can thank Judeo-Christian values for that. Because in the ancient Near East, there was no concept of a weekend. You just work because stuff had to get done. That was how it worked. It wasn't no take a break. We just assume that everybody had a Sabbath. But everybody didn't have a Sabbath. In fact, nobody had a Sabbath. Just the Jews had a Sabbath because they had this concept that was rooted Back In ancient Judaism that went all the way back to the Exodus. And so Jesus steps on the scene in this text and he makes this audacious claim about this ancient concept of Sabbath that he is the Lord of it. Now y'all have to understand Jesus sometimes like Jesus says I am the Lord of the Sabbath and C.S. Lewis said that this guy has to either be a liar a lunatic or the Lord because he just says wild out of control stuff over and over and over again. You see, if you walk backwards just a few verses in Luke 5, 24, Jesus makes this crazy claim that he can forgive people's sins. Now, listen, you're either an absolute insane person to say that you can forgive people's sins, or you might be a fully human being that has met the full deity of the second person of the Trinity and now exists in a hypostatic union of the incarnate God-man and actually do on earth have power to forgive sins. And He proves that he is the second one when he causes a man to stand up and walk in response to his forgiveness and his grace. So he proves that he is the incarnate God, man. But now he makes the second audacious wild, out-of-control claim that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Make no mistake about it, Jesus is standing in front of the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the day, the scholars of his time, and claiming to be God in the flesh, because there is only one Lord of the Sabbath, and his name is Yahweh. And so we find this idea of Sabbath, as I said, that is not self-evident to everyone, uh, right on the first page of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates all of earth in six days. He makes everything. He steps into nothing, speaks some words against some molecules that don't exist, and calls out into the deep of a complete absence of matter. And everything that now is strains to come into fruition. And God demonstrates his sovereignty over everything in this moment of creation. And he does this for six days straight. Now I know some of y'all are like were they six literal days or was it the days where these were aeons? How do we listen? Genesis chapter 1 is a piece of elevated poetry. It could have been six literal days. It could have been a longer period of time. To be honest it really don't even matter because if you stand start with a being who exists out of all time matter the time space continuum and creates everything that is whether he chooses to do it in a day or a million or a billion years is completely immaterial because he speaks and it all comes to pass anyway and so this God who reveals himself in Genesis chapter 1 as Elohim and later through his covenant name as Yahweh stands up creates everything in six days and then in Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 he says thus the heavens and the earth were all finished and the host of them and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done and then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation and you know here's what's interesting about this thing we know that this god is the unmoved first mover as aristotle would say he is the origin of everything that is he is neither time neither space nor matter but he exists out of all of it and he is the one who was who is and who is to come why does he take a break on day seven in fact exodus says that he stops working and he himself is refreshed was god tired was he exhausted had he wore himself out creating jupiter because it's big and he liked it so much that he threw a ring on it what was going on with God that he needed to take a moment and rest. I would make the argument that God's rest has absolutely nothing to do with his exhaustion. That God neither needs a day off, a nap, a Red Bull, a Starbucks card. He doesn't need any kind of energy drink. He doesn't need a monster, a rock star, or anything of that. But that God is, as the theologians would say, exists completely in and for himself. We call that the aseity of God. But that God takes a break and takes a break and a rest to show us that we ourselves are not God. Well you're like, what, what do you mean? That, that, why, why would he take a break to show that we are not God? Well, it takes, it has everything to do with where this creation narrative first lands. Y'all, y'all know the first people to read it, right? Anybody know the first people to read Genesis 1? You can talk to me, it's a dialogue, it's fine. It Who's the first people? Hebrews, where were they at? Where are these Hebrews at? Where are they at? Nobody know where they are at? Huh? In the wilderness, that's right, that's right. These, these these formerly enslaved people who had been in Egypt for 430 years, as Yahweh prophesied to his friend Abraham, had spent the last 430 years being oppressed and dehumanized and denigrated by the Egyptian authorities. They had been told that they are not the image of God, that they were subhuman, that they were not even whole human beings. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And they were told that they were less than human beings, and their job was simply to make food for the God-man who was the Pharaoh. And that Pharaoh was the image of God. And that Pharaoh was the image and imprint of Ra. And so because of that, These Hebrew people had for 430 years imbibed their own oppression and dehumanization. And this, as a side note, is why African Americans find such solace in the story of the Exodus. Because it reveals God to us as a liberator. And so the first people who would have read Genesis chapter 1 were liberated slaves who needed to know two things on the first page of the Bible. Number one, you are the image of God. You have Dignity, you have worth. You are not what you produce. You are not a slave to your productivity. You are not how much money you have. You are not how many bricks you put together. But just because you are children of the I am, you are and you can exist in my presence as those who reflect my image and my dignity. But here is the second thing that God wants to tell them with this concept of Sabbath is that because you are no longer slaves in Egypt, you can take a day off. You can take a break and, and, and there are some of us today who just need to hear this same reminder that you are not your accomplishments. You are not a slave to your productivity. You are not how much money is in your bank account. You are not whether or not you finish that degree. You are not whether or not you get that promotion. You are not whether or not that business venture succeeds. But you are one who is in the image of God. And because you have been redeemed by Christ, not only are you the image of God, but you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And because God has paid the price for you, you can rest. And so this whole sermon, if you're trying to figure it out, is all about God saying to you that there is a Sabbath for you, that your identity and worth is in him, so you don't have to be a slave to your calendar. You don't... You don't have to be a slave to what you produce. You don't have to look at yourself and put yourself on the scale of self-worth based on a meritocracy and what you bring to the table. But because God is, you can simply be. And when you can be before him who is, you can see who you truly are. And so, you can, you can take the day off. And, and this isn't just me trying to justify the fact that I'm be on vacation this week. This is actually... <laughs> This is actually in the Bible. This is this is actually in the Bible. This is this is God saying that 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 if I took a break, if, if me, the one who exists in and of myself, God says, he says some wild stuff. He says this in the Bible. He says in Job, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Who, who, who is, uh, whoever is under the whole heaven is mine. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the whole world in its fullness is mine. And if I as the self-existent one can take a break, guess what, child of God, who didn't create all of the universe, you can too. And so why do we need to be reminded of this? I think there's a couple reasons that we need to be reminded of this reality. And I think some of it um, is because some of us struggle with the self-worth piece. um, And we really wrestle with that. And that's a struggle for some of us. But some of us wrestle with a God complex, too. You see, some of us, we we, we struggle with self-worth and we want to find our identity in what we produce and what we do and what we bring to the table, but there are some of us who need to know that we do not uphold all things by the word of our power. That that you, we, because some of us are addicted to being needed. You see, some of us, we actually find our worth not in accomplishments, not in money, not in degrees, but in the idea that somebody needs me, that something needs me, that some organization needs me, that some group of people needs me. But God says, because I am the self-existent one who never needs a uh, a nap, Psalm 121, he that keepeth Israel shall never slumber nor sleep. And since God's going to be up all night anyway, God says, why don't you get some rest and let me handle it? because you're not God. And so, God says, some of us need to be rescued from our God complex because we don't uphold all things by the word of his power. So, Jesus invites us into the seventh day eternal rest. He invites us as the Lord of the Sabbath into this idea of eternal rest. By the way, while I'm over here, this is why Christians, some Christians have wrestled with this. Why why don't we observe the Sabbath in the same way that our Jewish friends observe the Sabbath? That's a great question. I think it's a good one. I think it's a worthy one. I'm going to take a few minutes and answer it. I was hanging out one. of my Jewish homies, I got plenty of Jewish homies, they like, the Jewish folks like me? I like them. We hang out. It's what it is. We talk Torah. And they were like, well, why don't you as Christians, since you then took the Hebrew Bible and made it your own, why (laughs) you might as well keep the Sabbath. And I said, friend, you need to know that I don't have to keep a Sabbath, I am in union with the Sabbath. And he said, what do you mean you're in union with the Sabbath? I say, well, under Jewish theology, you guys understand that the Saturday that you celebrate the Sabbath is an entrance into the seventh day eternal Sabbath of God in which you enter into God's rest, but only lasts 24 hours, which is why at the Shabbat service, you mourn the outgoing of the Sabbath because the Sabbath is leaving and you have to re-enter space and time. Am I correct, Jewish friend? They said, absolutely. Well, I say, well, Jewish friend, because my Sabbath is not a time period, but my Sabbath has already come and fulfilled all the works of God on my behalf and I rest in him. I no longer have to wait for a seven day period to pass. I am seated together with Christ in heavenly places so I am currently enthroned in eternity right now. So I am living the seventh day every day my friend. And so As believers, we don't don't have to worry about when we celebrate the Sabbath because Jesus is our Sabbath. This is the whole point of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4 and 8 says, If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Here's the point. Child of God, God has finished it all. When we talk about the finished work of Christ, that means that you enter into the eternal rest of God and you're done fighting for your self-worth. You are done fighting to produce something to make people love you. You are done fighting for a place at the table. You are done trying to please God through your own works. Jesus has finished it all and that includes your self-worth, your dignity, and everything that you bring to the table. And because he is the God who exists of himself, you are free to rest now you know this whole idea of the aseity of god you know he says this in the, in the bible he says i i give my beloved rest and some of us are just so sleep deprived so sleep deprived we are so tired we are some of y'all are sleeping as i'm preaching right now <laughs> that's okay i don't need, i used to take it personal. i used to get worked up when i first started passing now i'm just like i'm gonna <laughs> preach anyway and every now and then i just holler just ah just to wake them up man. every blue moon but <laughs> Some of us are just so tired. We're, we're up all night and, and we're pacing the floor and we're worried about that situation and we're trying to figure out, God, how can I, I, all my credit cards are maxed out. My bank account is overdrafted. My kids are acting a fool. My marriage is falling apart and we're up all night trying to work this thing out. And God says, listen, you can't figure it out anyway because you're not God. You need to trust me to work everything out according to my purposes and for your good. And this brings me to the second and final point of the sermon, that the Lord of the Sabbath is also the Lord of sustenance. Because the reason why some of us struggle so much to Sabbath is because we struggle with believing that God will actually sustain us. We, we, we don't want to take a day off because we think, God, is it's, it's not that I, I want to be overworked. God, it's not that I want to be, 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 a, be a workaholic. God, it's not that I want to neglect my family because I'm always in the office. But I actually think that if I take my hands off of it, that it really will fall apart. And God says, will you trust me that not only will I uphold the world and the universe by the words of your power, but I will uphold your family, your marriage, your life, your company, your business by my power. And so, when I started thinking about the Lord of sustenance, because I was trying to figure out, like, okay, I get the Lord of Sabbath jam, but the the Lord started showing me from verse three, you know, as his disciples are walking through this field, and they're they're actually doing a good job keeping the Torah. You see, the Torah says, it's worried about hospitality, it says that if you're walking through a field, you're on a journey, and you get hungry, you can eat some of your neighbor's field. This is Deuteronomy 23. It says you can't put it in your pocket, and you can't take a sickle to it, but you can show, grab you a real quick bag of those corn chips right there, and just ah, just eat a little bit. Go ahead, eat you a little bit. You can, that's, that's totally fine within the bounds of the law. And this is exactly what is happening. But here go the time, haters, showing up to say, hey, why y'all, and I don't even know why they're there, you know? It's kind of creepy. Can you imagine just going on a walk and you're hungry, you see a piece of wheat and you grab it, eat on it, and a dude pop out like, hey, bro, what you doing? This is, it's like, this is crazy. Like, what were y'all doing? Like, why were you? I don't know. I asked weird questions at a text. I'm like, this is weird. These people were weirdos. They, and like, they are in the side of the country in Judea and they just pop out a cornfield. Hey, bro, you know you ain't supposed to eat that, right? I would've smacked, I'm sorry, I can't say that. I'm preaching. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the dude pop out of corporate, ah, what do sorry, sorry, Mr. Pharisee, you don't need to jump out behind the corn sauce that way, but they pop out of nowhere. Why, why are you eating this? You know, they didn't have quick trip, boy, they couldn't, they couldn't just slide through the McDonald's real quick and grab themselves a, 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 a double cheeseburger. They couldn't just go through Wendy's, grab a four for nothing like that. They had all they had that the Torah had provided but the rabbis were not satisfied with the Torah, so they created this oral tradition called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, in Mishnah, in the tractate seven, they came up with 39 other provisions or prohibitions for the Sabbath. They said that you can't sow, plow, reap, thresh, winnow, separate fit um, from unfit um, crop, grind, shift, knead, bake, shear wool, wash it, beat it. You couldn't write more than two letters. You couldn't sew more than two stitches. You couldn't trap a deer. You couldn't slaughter it. You couldn't saw this flesh. You couldn't eat no sausage. You couldn't do nothing. Couldn't write, you couldn't erase two letters that you wrote, you couldn't build, you couldn't tear down, couldn't extinguish a flame. There was just this list of prohibitions, so much so that they themselves began to see it as oppressive. And what's fascinating is that none of this stuff was in the Bible. This. And so when they pull up on Jesus and and the disciples, they're not saying that you violated the Torah, but you have violated the conditions and the standards of men. And while I'm over here, I will just say that when it comes to matters of Sabbath, that you need to be able to keep God's provision and standards for yourself and ignore what other people try to put on you that ain't according to the will of God. Because people will kill you with their standards, with their religious legalism, and their expectations that has no grounding in Scripture at all. And so they say they should pull up with their law. This ain't the law of God. They pull up and they say, hey, man, why are you, why are you eating that stuff there? Why are you, what, what are you doing? And Jesus says, um, you know, he's a good rabbi too. He tells them a story about King David, the one who wrote Psalm 23, the one who is the picture of the Messiah, the one who is the picture um, of the one who would come to rescue and save Israel. He tells him this story that paints this beautiful picture of how every single time you put God's law or even the law, man, against the mercy of God, the mercy of God always wins. As James chapter two says, mercy always triumphs over judgment and that God is so much the Lord of sustenance that he picks and chooses when and where he will sustain his people. And there is no law against his love for providing for his people. And so Jesus, he didn't just preach a sermon to him like I'm doing. He asked them some questions. He said, well, you know, religious people just popping out of weird corners in the cornfield. Um, why are you over here? Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? I'm in verse three of your text. And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and gave it to his friends. You see, Jesus demonstrates this principle by pointing out this story about King David. David, I ain't going to bore you with all the details, but King David was, uh, or he wasn't a king yet, he was just David. He was a musician in the court of King Saul. He had already killed the, the, Goliath, and so all of Israel thought he was dope because he had killed Goliath. That's what happened when you kill Shaq, okay? People are like, dang, that's crazy. This dude killed a whole giant, and so he killed a nine-foot-tall dude. The king was too scared, and so the entire nation loved David. And Saul did what haters do, he got jealous. And so he got jealous and he tried to kill David. So David had to flee from Jerusalem. And so David is fleeing from Jerusalem, and he comes to the tabernacle. The temple hadn't hadn't been built yet, and he does multiple unlawful things. First, David comes, and he travels more than a Sabbath day's journey to get to the tabernacle. You see, on the Sabbath, you can only travel a half a mile, and you can't travel outside the city. He traveled outside the city and traveled for two miles. He had already violated the Sabbath. Then he shows up to the tabernacle, talks to the priest. The priest says, hey, David, what you doing here? You here on official business? David says, absolutely. Absolutely. I am here on official day business. David was lying. David was, in fact, not there on official business, okay? David was running for the king, so he lies. Then he enters the tabernacle. He should not have done that because he was not a priest. And then he eats the special bread of the presence, which was made fresh every Sabbath, that was in the presence of God, and he feeds himself and his friends with it. So David, in this story, violates the Torah on at least four points. And do you want to know what God did as David violated the Torah? on at least four points he sustained him and he fed him anyway. Here's why you should shout on that point, child of God, because God does not create, God does not put a prerequisite in place that says you gotta be all right, have it all together, not have made any mistakes before he will feed and sustain you. In fact, God will take you in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your lies, in the midst of your fallenness, and will still give you rest and sustenance. You don't have to earn God's grace. This is his lavish, unmitigated, unrivaled, unearned, favor that he pours on whosoever will call on his name. And so I need that kind of grace. Oh God, I need that kind of grace. Because few of us, not few of us, none of us deserve God's grace. None of us are perfect. All of us are fallen. All of us have blown it and God is not sitting around waiting on you to get it together before he sustains you, bless you, ministers to you, and meets every one of your needs. And so David, he, he sustained by the bread of the presence. And Jesus says, look, look, y'all, y'all ain't even read your own book right. Because we see that God's pleasure is always to provide and to sustain his people, even when they're imperfect. And so you're going to try to get upset with me with your own Tradition, Not not the word of God, but you're going to try to use your own tradition to stop these brothers who are faithfully serving me, walking with me, going from city to city, healing and preaching to folks, to stop them from eating a snack based on your legalism. And he does what he does all the time, which is to push back on the haterism that comes after him and his disciples. But this picture and this this story here, it also unlocks this beautiful picture that the gospel of John will unlock again because what we see here is that this beautiful picture of the bread of the presence that nourishes and sustains a broken, fallen, and sinful David is exactly a beautiful typology of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because uh, John says in John 6 that truly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. You see the bread of the presence that set in the the tabernacle before the presence of the Lord and 12 loaves inside the throne room of God that only the priest could eat, that no one else could eat, wasn't just there for the sake of having bread in the tabernacle, but it was there to point us to the bread of heaven who would come down and give his life for all of the world. What the Pharisees didn't realize is that they were talking to the bread of heaven. They were talking to the bread of the presence who would come down and give his life for the life of the world. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And here's the beautiful picture of the gospel, child of God. You ain't got to get it all together to feast on Jesus. That Jesus says, he says in John chapter 6, that the bread that I will give is my flesh, and I will give it for the sins of the entire world. And he says that whoever is hungry, whoever needs sustenance, whoever needs rest from the works of this world can come unto me and rest and come unto me and feast. You know, I was, I was looking at this. And I was thinking through this. And y'all know, I was listening to Kyle preach last week, and he was talking about that ice cream. And I was listening. <laughs> I was, that, was, that was a fire sermon, by the way. Kyle threw down, and I got ice cream. Anyway, uh, uh, now I was listening to Sabrine today talk about the, the food trucks. And I'm like, I'm just like, eating food is a core value of a fresh community church, and I'm here for all of it. I love it. But here's another food illustration to close the sermon, Um, per our core values here at this church. You know... uh... But no, I was reading the text and, uh, about Jesus as the bread of heaven, the one who comes down, who, who feeds us, who sustains us, who nourishes us spiritually, who, as we wrestle through all the things we wrestle through, and it made me think about this beautiful woman that I tell y'all about all the time, my beautiful, lovely grandmother, who was a southern woman from Columbus, Georgia, who cooked just like a southern woman from Columbus, Georgia. She cooked all the stuff you can expect her to have cooked. She had, and if you know what I'm talking, you'll know what I said, that she had the two the two cans of grease on the stove. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking Two cans, not one. You gotta have two. You know why. And if you don't know, come talk to me after service. I'll tell you why you need two cans of grease on the stove. She had two cans. And when when Big Mary, that's what they called my grandma, Big Mary, when Big Mary got ready to cook, she got ready to cook biscuits. Big Big Mary didn't, she didn't get the joints that, that pop like I do. Like I get the grand's biscuits to that's how I make biscuits. That ain't how Big Mary did. She started with flour and water. She put some yeast in there, some other stuff down, I don't remember. Let it rise. Let the sheet come up. And then she put them down, down, let it rise. That's how she made biscuits. And it was because she was the matriarch. She had six children. She was the oldest of eight children. And all of her nieces and nephews and then all of her grandkids. It was a big family. And if you've seen me, you've met my whole family. We're all six feet and up, men and women. Loud, talkative, got lots of jokes, have a great time, and we're hungry every single one of us all the time <laughs> needless to say big Mary spent a large portion of her time cooking and feeding us and i remember one of the many times as a small child me and some of my cousins and aunts and uncles were sitting around and this was just your average tuesday this wasn't thanksgiving this wasn't easter she just cooked all the time and we ate all the time and that's why i'm at club fistons now because we ate all the time and so she was sitting there and we were all eating, we were fellowshipping, and we were having a good time, and just hanging out, cracking jokes and stuff. And I noticed that my grandmother, and a lot of times she would eat, but oftentimes she wouldn't. And she was sitting there, and she wasn't eating. And she, I look up, and she's just smiling at me. And I'm looking, I'm like, what you? And I'm thinking, like, you know, my face. If you've ever eaten with me, you know, I, I get after it, okay? I don't, I, I, I don't play with it, like, you know. So I'm getting out. So I'm thinking she's gonna tell me, Carlos, you need to slow down, you need cheat food, you're gonna choke to death. Need to stop. I'm a fast eater. I'm thinking that's what she's gonna say. But she's just smiling. I said, like, Grandma, we you good? What are you smiling at me for? And she said, oh, I'm, just, I'm just looking at you. I'm just looking at her. I said, Grandma, you gonna eat something? She like, no, I just nibbled along the way. I'm just enjoying watching you eat. <laughs> I'm, I'm just enjoying watching you enjoy what I cook. She, she, and you know how much I pay for that food? Not nothing, I don't know how much, why my grandma was spending all this money on food. You know what I contributed to that meal? Not nothing. She said, I'm just enjoying watching you being nourished by what I provide. And Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven says, child of God, I just enjoy giving you rest sustenance providing for you making sure that you are good he says i am the bread of life and i want to sustain you i am the living water and i want to refresh you i am the good shepherd and i want to protect you i'm the true bind and i want to nourish you with my strength and so jesus is saying listen child of god i love it, it is as jesus says this later in luke he says it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom he says, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not stingy with my grace. I want to provide for you. And so he says, child, go to sleep. I'm going to be up anyway. I, I, I'm busy keeping the universe going. I'm, I'm busy making new planets, a new nebula, and stars. To go to sleep. You don't have to stay up all night worried about how you're going to deal with the situation. You don't have to stress yourself out with anxiety and hurt your health and constantly have yourself in a state of fight or flight. I am the God of the universe and I am God enough to deal with everything that you can throw at me. And it is my pleasure to nourish you and give you rest. And so people of God, amen. I want to invite you today. To connect and to enjoy the presence and the fellowship of this Jesus. I already told you, he his desire, he fights for the right to be a blessing to his children. When, they, when the Pharisees came and tried to tell them that they, they shouldn't rest and feed themselves, Jesus says, no, you don't know the word of God. I am the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd. I'm the one who nourishes. I'm, I'm the one from Psalm 23 who makes you lie down before the still waters i'm the one who leads you and provides for you and so as we get ready to worship again there's going to be men and women up here at the front of our church and many of us it's not many of us here's the truth all of us are bearing some kind of burden might look different my burden might not be your burden truth of the matter is we probably if we interviewed each other and heard about one another's burdens we might just go ahead and keep our own there's some stuff that we're bearing here, some of which we know, some of which we don't. But here's what I know. Jesus says, I'm a burden bearer. And that if you're heavy laden by your burden, you can come to me and rest. And so we're going to have brothers and sisters up here that if you need somebody to help you bear that burden, where you need to lay that burden down at the cross, you can lay it down and have a brother or sister walk with you, pray with you, believe God with you. But I want to encourage you. Don't walk out of here bearing that burden. Jesus took all your burdens on the cross, he paid for them with his own blood, and then he resurrected on the third day to let you know that he took care of everything and that because he is sovereign, he got you covered. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of Sabbath and you are the Lord of sustenance. And God, we can Sabbath, we can rest, we can take our hands off of it, we can turn our notifications off because we know that you are God over everything and you got it all under control. As John the Baptist once said in John chapter one, we are not the Christ. God, we don't have to try to be Jesus. God, we don't have to die for the church because you already died for the church. God, we don't have to try to be folks redeemer because you've already redeemed them. God, we can give ourselves to rest. We can enter both your eternal rest that you have purchased by the blood of the new covenant. And we can also literally get eight hours of sleep at night because our identity is not rooted in productivity, how much we make, how much we accomplish, how packed our calendar is, how exhausted we are, how burnout we are. But our identity is in the image of God and in the redemption of Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to remember that you are the Lord of both Sabbath and sustenance and you will sustain us as we Sabbath. Be with us now as we lay our burdens down. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.